You're listening to the Art of Living Well podcast with Father Ian Van Heusen. Welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. In this episode, Father Ian asks the question, what is your good news? Are you showing who Jesus is? Hope you enjoy. I just had an inspiration this morning. Um, I was reading through the first reading and I just was like, I want to talk about it. So, and then sometimes the beauty of it as a priest is like you talk about the gospel a lot or you kind of give a basic message in the homily. But what I found is because I do a show with a co-host is like you don't get to talk about other readings. Like when have you ever had like a half hour conversation about the first reading or something like that? And so the first reading is from Acts. But before we get into that and before um, I kind of unpack it a little bit, um, I'm going to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to, to get back to basics, to recognize the basic proclamation, to understand the foundation. Sometimes we get busy in debates and conversations, excuse me, in theology, and, and just we, we can lose sight of the basic premise that we celebrate this day, that your son Jesus Christ suffered and died and rose from the dead and has conquered sin and death. And it's always this, good t- this time of year to get reacquainted with that foundation of your son's victory over sin and death. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So one of the neatest parts about living in the South and being a priest in the Diocese of Raleigh is you, you experience the faith through the eyes of other people for the first time. And the radicalness of it and the craziness of it like stands out. So like one story, it was kind of fun. Um, I took a, a group of homeschool families, and I probably won't ever do this again because it was, it was kind of fun, but also, like, the kids were very embarrassed. But we did a procession through the neighborhood where, like, we had incense, and I had, like, vestments on. It was, like, my first year of priesthood, John D'Amelio. And, and the kids were kind of, like, so embarrassed because everybody was like, what are the Catholics doing? Like, what are these Catholic homeschool families doing in this neighborhood? And we processed from house to house, and I blessed them all. It was, it was really fun. But, like... That sense of, like, in the Northeast, that would be pretty common. Like, that wouldn't be as unusual if you were in a completely Catholic area. People would kind of get it. Like, this is things Catholics do. And it's even more dramatic out here in eastern North Carolina. You know, I love the fact, see, I never really grew up in a rural area. So for me, there's a certain um, romance and a beauty to, like, living on streets and traveling down streets that like I've only seen in movies or because I, I grew up in military bases and, and military bases have a certain aesthetic. And then I went to high school up north of New York City. So you would see, I mean, the classic thing you always see in movies is you have that, that, that uh, intersection where there's the crossroads and there's that gas station that looks a little run down with like the old fashioned gas tanks. And like we have that out here in eastern North Carolina, right? And like, so you're, 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 there's, then there's the fields, there's the cornfield, there's the farm, there's the smell of the manure, whatever it might be. Um, and it's kind of neat. And one of the neat parts also of being a priest of the Diocese of Raleigh is um, there's definitely a sense of personal care that's not the same as the Northeast. So if you know anything about parishes in like Philadelphia or New York City, Normally, your parish boundaries are about three or four square miles. This is why Catholics who move from the north to the south 
don't understand. Like, well, why doesn't Father visit like every month like my priest did in New Jersey? It's like, well, your priest in New Jersey lived three minutes away from your house. And like the whole parish boundaries was three square miles. My commute from the rectory in St. Bernadette's in Fuquay, my commute from the first rectory was bigger than my friend's parish boundaries, like his whole parish boundaries in Philadelphia. So his parish boundaries was like two and a half square miles. I had to travel five miles every day to get from the rectory to the church. And so one of the things we often do is, and it happens a lot, especially more rural you are, you might spend an hour in the car or a half hour in the car going to give one person communion and anointing one person. It's like your whole afternoon is just for one person, which is kind of neat. I mean, there's no way they would do that up in, I mean, in Philadelphia, if you traveled an hour, you would go through like 10, 20 parishes, right? That's how compact everything is. So one of the things that struck me early on was one time I was traveling through rural North Carolina, and I had my picks with the Blessed Sacrament in around my neck. And it was, you can picture the scene. There's the crossroads. There's the cornfields. And I'm, I'm picturing, I'm walking into the gas station, and I needed like something to drink, and I needed to fill my car up with gas, which I wouldn't normally do with the Blessed Sacrament. And we really shouldn't do necessarily. But the thing was, was I was traveling for an hour. So I needed gas, and, and I wasn't going to like fast for two out, like an hour there, and then fast, you know, after. And it was, so I was going to visit somebody who's homebound. I was getting a water. And I thought to myself, what would I say to the clerk if he asked me what was around my neck? Like, think about that for a second. You're, you're, you're a Protestant. You're a Baptist from, from, from rural North Carolina. A lot of people, when they see me in the cassock, they're like, I've never seen a priest before. Like, they, 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 Catholicism is this kind of weird religion that they've kind of heard about, but like maybe not always in a positive light. So they see a priest, and they see this thing around his neck, and you say, well, what is that? I was like... Do I tell him it's like my God? Like, I'm carrying my God, who I believe is the creator of heaven and earth, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things were made, like the, the Christ that you profess. Like, and what would be the person's reaction? Like, you believe that in that thing around your neck is God? It's like, yeah, I do. And you're kind of here buying a water <laughs> with God on your, around your neck? It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, but luckily they, didn't, they never asked. Um, but, you know, I went, I went into the gas station, but I started to think about that more and more. Some of the radical claims of Christianity, um, and particularly Catholicism, which is, I would say, the fullness of Christianity. It's the authentic, historic Christianity. So we're the, the primary Christians. Some people might not like to hear that, but that's what I believe. That's what I cling to. Not in an arrogant kind of way, but that's why I'm a Catholic priest, because I'm, I'm all in on it. So, the question I have for most Catholics, and I have for us, we recognize Easter Sunday, and here being in the South, everybody would recognize the resurrection of the Lord. But what do we tell people about what we do on Sunday? We're like, really pay attention to the language. What do, you, what do you say? Like, do you say that I'm going to encounter our Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying we have to be weird, like, you know, sometimes people will hear these talks where, and then they'll go around to everybody, I don't go to church, I go to encounter Christ, whatever. You can say I go to church on Sunday, but like if somebody said to you, like, well, what do you do on Sunday? 
Like, how would you describe it to somebody? Or if somebody was, and, and you know, the interesting thing about this is we now live in a society, even in the South. In the South, it's a little bit different. Often, you're explaining the Eucharist and the Mass to somebody who's Christian, but has never heard of Catholicism or has only vaguely heard of it. Up in the Northeast, you will sometimes find people legitimately who do not know who Jesus Christ is. And I'll never forget how I got this really bad. I was, uh, and of course, alcohol is always involved when things go bad. It wasn't that bad. I'm just kidding. It was, it was a wedding. Um, weddings are fun, but I was, it was at the wedding of Phil List. It was Phil List's wedding with Kate. Um, and a lot of her friends from Penn, Ivy League school, brilliant people, but they're from all over the world. And so I'm sitting at a table with a group of her friends and the fun conversation. And this Asian woman, probably like through the roof's IQ, like she asked me, what is Christianity? Like, what, what's, what's this all about? And this was like, I was in my last year of seminary and I don't know what the heck I was thinking about. I was like, I started talking about Vatican II and like I started talking about uh, like different things. And she's, as I was talking more and more, she just looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, and, and what I missed was, was the, like, the foundation, the basic proclamation. Jesus Christ suffered and died. He's the Son of God, equal with the Father for all eternity. He died for us. He died for the sake of our salvation. He died for our sins to set us free from sin and death. And we lose sight of that. We have to, we have to proclaim that basic message. And that has to be the foundation for everything. The relationship with the Lord. And the thing we also need to really explain to people is that relationship is lived out through the sacraments. Sacraments are not just communal gatherings. It's that they're a lifeline. And we encounter the resurrection of the Lord and we have a relationship with the Lord primarily through the sacraments and then also through our own personal prayer and study. This was at the heart of the early church. See, remember, they're proclaiming that guy you saw a few weeks ago that we thought was just a prophet. No, that's God, and he's resurrected. Like, he is not dead. He is alive. And that's what we get at in today's first reading from Easter Sunday. I should have looked up. what It's from Acts, right? Yeah. What, what chapter is it? I forgot to write down what chapter. Is it like chapter 2? Yeah, look it up real quick. It's like chapter 2 or chapter 1, but it's Peter is proclaiming the basic message of Jesus Christ and he's proclaiming, I think it's Pentecost, um, or maybe not. Maybe it was one of the other proclamations. We'll have to look it up. But, but that's a big part of the Acts of the Apostles, is they're proclaiming the base, chapter 5? Chapter 10. So it's one of the later proclamations. So he's proclaiming the basic message of Christianity. So he starts and he says, Peter proceeded to speak and said, You know what has happened over all of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. When I first started to think about this, one of the things that, it's not as explicit in this, but there's what everybody saw of Jesus, and then there's what the apostles saw and the disciples saw. Because remember, everybody sees the crucifixion. Not everybody sees the resurrection. And he's going to get into that a little bit later. Many people see a whole lot of things about Christianity and Catholicism in general, right? So they might be a little bit aware of some of the imagery, like the bishop wears that pointy hat, right? Or the pope wears white. Um, they may not understand why that happens. They may even understand that, like, they build these big, beautiful churches with, with all of this intricate art. Many people think they understand Christianity, 
but they haven't gotten at the basic message. You know, remember, there's a classic with Jesus. Um, There's a classic thing. He's either a fool, he's either a madman, he's either a narcissist, or he's a savior. See, some people will say, well, Christianity is a really good religion because it gives, like, good morals. And that's what they encounter, right? Or maybe they think it's corrupt because whatever their agenda is. But for many people, let's say of goodwill. Christians are nice people. They seem to have a good code of ethics. We're nice people. We have a good code of ethics. There's really no need to be one religion over another. But that's not the claim of Jesus Christ, and that's not the claim of the apostles. It's a radical relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the center of salvation. It's this claim that without Christ we can do nothing. There's also another interesting dynamic right now with the Internet. Fast, uh, rewind 10 or 20 years ago, or maybe 30 years ago now, there was, there, there was almost kind of a naive notion that the more information that there was out there, it would resolve a lot of problems, right? Think back to that. We really did believe that like 30 or 40 years ago. Maybe some of you guys who didn't grow up with the internet don't remember that, but I think you guys can remember that, right? We, th- we kind of thought first when the internet was coming, if people just had all the information available, they would understand truth more. Education, I mean, I don't hear that as much, but like education was going to solve every problem in the world. Remember even George Bush, right? As much as some people might like him, I mean, I remember thinking how crazy it was when he said, we're going to have a 100% graduation rate in 10 years, right? It was that utopianism that had seeped into American culture. We can solve every problem through legislation, through education. The internet comes along. They're going to have so much information. Nobody will ever be deceived again. We really did believe that. Like, people were not going to be deceived. Hilarious now when you think about it, right? Because now it's like you're in so much information, it's actually even harder to discern what's true. And that idea really gets its roots in the Enlightenment. So the Enlightenment had this idea of, of the, the nobility of human reason and the, the ability of human reason alone, reason alone, to conquer all of humanity's problems. That the new scientific method, the new, the new technology was going to conquer and make life better and better. And there is some element of progress in that. But what we realize is you can't create that utopianism, that for all of its virtue and for all of its beauty, human reason is insufficient. The biggest insight we've also had with the Internet, I think especially the past like three or four years, you have to really look hard at who's speaking, right? Like you have to, if, if you see a tweet, even if you agree with it, you have to like look at, like do I agree with the person, like do I trust them? When you see a news source, and we're even knowing it's going to be accelerated now because the ability to do fake photos, to do fake videos, like when you put out a video, you have to ask like, do I trust this messenger? Which is really interesting because that wasn't the case like 30 or 40 years ago. If you saw a picture it didn't matter where it came from 40 or 50 years ago, you generally trusted it because like they couldn't make fake photos. At least you didn't, you weren't aware of it, right? Um, so this is the importance with Peter, right? Peter's proclaiming Jesus Christ, but it's not like some abstract concept. It's tied with him. Like I saw the risen Lord, like I encountered Jesus. And that's incredibly important, right? We're not just communicating ideas, but it's like, I know Jesus Christ. Here is how I have seen him risen in my life. 
There's so much information. And, and then it goes to that the, 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 the evangelists of the future will be witnesses. I think there's always ideas, there's formation, but it's primarily centered on the reliability of the witness. And we have to ask each one of us, are we reliable witnesses to Jesus Christ? So kind of continuing on. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And I know you guys all agree with this, but I feel like it needs to be said over and over again. Satan is real. Sin and death are real, right? Like, we haven't progressed beyond. Like, Satan is not just like a nice little figment of our imagination, right? He's not some archetype of Carl Jung that we use to, like, scare children in the Middle Ages or something. No, there's a personal enemy who's trying to destroy you and destroy your soul. And he wants to see you burn for all eternity in hell. And yes, hell is real. Like, that's the thing. Like, if hell is not real and Satan is not real, the idea of Jesus as Savior loses its radical claim. Like, he set you free from a really bad destiny. Like, he set you free from the fires of hell. Like, he set you free from an enemy who just wants to see you suffer and destroy you. There was a, there was a talk in the 60s and 70s. I think a lot of this is kind of being shattered right now. Especially, like, when you see, for example, the martyrs in, in Egypt, right? where you see all those Coptic men lined up for proclaiming Jesus Christ, and they just chop off their heads, right? And like the brutality of that. But in the 60s and 70s, before the, the kind of, we could see things on a global scale, and we could see some really ugliness, there was that utopianism, right? It was, all you need is love. John Lennon, right? Like, all you need is love. Like, if we just maximize positive vibes, all of humanity's problems are going to go away. And then you encounter somebody who just wants to do you harm. And, and that's like a whole nother, it's evil. And their evil is real. Remember, George Bush was mocked for saying evildoers, right? Like we've, we've progressed beyond evil. Like we don't call things evil anymore. We're so much more enlightened now. We, 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 you know, we don't talk about sin, we say missing the mark. Because the, the Greek word um, for sin is, is missing the mark. So we don't talk about sin because sin makes you feel bad about yourself. We just want to feel good and maximize positive vibes. Um, I think that's a bunch of bunk. But I don't think it's bad mental health either. Some people are like, if you think about sin and death and heaven and hell, like you're going to have bad mental health. I actually think it makes you more resilient. And Jordan Peterson's been talking about this a lot. Um, my man, Jordan Peterson. There's a bingo square, uh, Tim. They have a bingo, like certain things I always talk about. One of them is Jordan Peterson. Continuing on. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We are witnesses, right? They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This man God raised on the third day and granted that he be visible, not to all people, but to us. The witnesses chose before God in advance. Like I talked about, the resurrection wasn't a public event. It happened, the apostles saw him, those who believed saw him. Um, the witnesses chose by God in advance, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You got to kind of ask yourself, when you're a kid, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but one of the constant ideas I had when I was a kid was like, if Jesus just like showed himself right now, like if there's like the clouds open and like, you know, the bearded white dude came out and he's like, Ian, Jesus is truly God. This is all true. Accept it. Like, oh yeah, now I get it. Like, oh, if I can just see the angels and the saints around the Father in heaven, 
Like, oh, I, I, I would get it all and I would understand. But I had this great insight. Um, I was thinking about when comparing it to a love relationship and, um, and, and a relationship. Because one of the things as I've gotten older, I've noticed is, you, like, you know, the money can't buy me love, right? I mean, quoting the Beatles. The Beatles got some things, right? They had good music. Um, money can't buy me love. Like, if you think about it in a love relationship, if you force somebody to marry you or to be with you, it's like a mercenary, right? So it, you want to, 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 for somebody to fall in love, and if you even think about this, like this might be more like on the woman's side. If a man has known you for a night and he's saying, I want to marry you, you're my everything, and I love you, probably a guy to run away from a little bit, right? Like, how do you love me? You really don't even know me yet. We haven't like spent time together. Like we haven't really gotten to know each other. And, and, and you think about it, what, what is, it, what is a, a healthy marriage and a healthy love relationship with another person involves? It involves like getting to know them, like spending time with them. So like if you're on your first date and the man says, well, if you marry me, I'll give you all the money you want. I'll, I'll give you everything you want. On the surface, some people might think that's a good idea. I feel like if you're really smart and mature, you realize that's a terrible idea. Like it's a terrible way to live your life, right? But that's kind of what... With that, that immature view of God, that like if he just shows his, all of his miracles, it's kind of like he's buying your love. He wants, he wants you, and remember, there's that great line of the psalm that I love, be not like a horse and mule, unintelligent, needing a bridle and bit. He doesn't want slaves, he wants friends, right? I mean, we sometimes say a slave for Christ, but we often say that the heights of understanding our relationship with God, he wants a friend, he wants a disciple, he wants somebody who has come to love him, like, isn't that the greatest feeling in the world? Like, when somebody pursues you, I mean, and somebody steps out of their way for you, and, like, they, they, they seek your attention and your love, um, that's, that's, that's at the heart of relationships. So God doesn't reveal his glory immediately to somebody because he draws them by degrees. And we have to recognize with evangelization, it's often about relationships. And, and, and oftentimes... I would say the most effective evangelization is when people live with us and they spend time with us. They just get to know us day in and day out. They see a consistency about who we are. And they ask, what is the foundation for that? And then you say, the foundation is Jesus Christ. I think that is way more effective than if God appeared in some miraculous cloud. I mean, miracles happen and they're good. Often, though, miracles confirm faith. They don't lead to conversion. They confirm faith. They confirm the faith of those who already believed, who are already walking with God. So the next part. He commissioned us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the basic proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done. But here's also the important thing. It has to be like what he has done in your life. Now, one of the sad some realities of the church sometimes is we can spin our wheels about a thousand things, right? So there's jokes in some of the books on evangelization. You come into a church and somebody says, well, how can I, how can I be involved or whatever? And they're, they're on the outskirts. And it's like, well, we're going to be doing a novena to the sacred heart of Jesus and we have adoration and you can learn more through catechesis and you're like, what, what's all this language? Tim, did you get all that right? Tim like, is always like, what's that word mean? Like, you know, Tim's not Catholic, and 
I, I point that out on a regular basis, right? But like we were in Rome and he was like, what's the difference between a basilica? We had a whole half hour conversation. It was like, what's the difference between a basilica and a cathedral, a cathedral and, a, and a chapel? <laughs> but we can spin our wheels about all of that technical stuff. But we don't proclaim who Jesus Christ is. So one of the revealing things that I do with confirmation, and it's actually helped orient our, our faith formation at St. Peter's. Unfortunately, my first assignment had less of an impact. I would ask three basic questions to every kid being confirmed. I would ask them, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ in your life? And what is the path to happiness? You'd be surprised at how many people don't get that question, those questions right. They're about to be confirmed and they can't tell you, because I would say, like, straight up, is Jesus God? And they'd be like, no, he's not. And, and it was my first assignment, it was about three quarters could not get those three questions right. Luckily, here at St. Peter's, when I first came, three quarters got it right. This last year, everybody got it right. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Because I would talk with the teachers about it, because they they, you, you really think about it. You can spin your wheels you can be talking about all of the great things of the Catholic faith. You can be talking about relics, and the kids are all cool and excited. You can talk about the crucifix and the art. You can talk about the Middle Ages, and, and the kids are all like, oh, this is so awesome. And then you're like, who's Jesus? And they're like, oh, he's a wise teacher. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, we forgot to proclaim that basic message. And, but it also has to be a personal message. Like, Jesus is my happiness. Jesus is my God. And, you, you know, I love the, the Protestants in the non-dominational world because they really do have that emphasis where it's like you, you say, like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I, I love it when you have somebody with a strong southern accent and they, like, make that proclamation, like, Jesus is my Lord, you know. And, and it's like, you just love that, man. I, that's one of the parts I love about being out here in eastern North Carolina. Um, yeah, I get, I get a lot of that. When you walk around dressed like this, you get a lot of, like, amens and alleluias and, and, and can you pray with me and let's talk about Jesus. It's a lot of fun. So what I would just encourage you, like right now in a lot of families, there's a lot of people who have fallen away from the faith. We all have family members who are far from the Lord. And like ask yourself, first of all, are you showing who Jesus is? Like building that trust. I'm not saying that you need to go up to like your brother who may have not gone to church and say, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I don't know if that's going to work necessarily, but there's going to come a moment where you're going to have an opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ to somebody. And what will you say in that time? I think all of us have to have a one-minute proclamation, a three- to five-minute proclamation, and then like a half-hour proclamation. And the basic foundation, we actually talk about this in content we did for the diocese, how to proclaim the kerygma. But the basics of it is, what did Jesus do, and what has he done for me, and how did I come to know the Lord? We all should be able to proclaim that. And that's what I would challenge you right now this Easter morning, to recognize the resurrection. But when somebody asks you, who is Jesus in your life? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in your life? And what is the path to happiness? And how have you encountered Jesus? Do you have a good answer to that? That's what I would challenge everybody to have. So thank you guys for your time. Let's close with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to proclaim your Son's victory over sin and death. Grant that we may be moved 
by the proclamation of the gospel, that we may delight in the good news that we receive this day. We ask you to bless all gathered here and all who will watch. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks, guys.